Welcome to Close Force, the podcast that just did their first IRL clothes horse related event, which was appearing on a panel at Slow Fashion Fest here in Austin this weekend. And it was awesome. I was really nervous because even though I've done some speaking engagements and whatnot over the past couple of years since becoming Amanda of Clothes Horse, uh, they've all been virtual. And I wasn't sure how it would feel to be IRL on a stage, being asked questions, meeting audience members, because I have a lot of social anxiety. And it was actually incredible. Uh, Definitely a highlight of this week, for sure. And it definitely makes me want to do more things like this. I have no idea when or how, because project managing something like real life events is a lot of work that I don't have time for right now. But If you have an event and you need a speaker, you might want to think about me. (laughs) Anyway, it also made me really excited to meet more people in the Austin area and really in every city I visit who are excited and passionate about slow fashion. So I'm going to be continuing to think more about that. That's not what this episode is about. Um, But it is time that I tell you that I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 142. As you're probably so tired of hearing me say, I believe that small business is the future. And doing what I can as a member of the slow fashion community to elevate these small businesses, to give them a moment on my platform to meet other members of the community, it's very important to me. And as I've talked about here for the last few episodes and also on Instagram, in November and December, I will be sharing audio essays from small businesses that are part of our community in every episode. And I will be doing all I can to share and shine a spotlight on other small businesses I love on Instagram. If you want to participate in any of this, you'll find all the essential info in the show notes and you know on the Instagram posts about it. I want to say at this point, I've received about half a dozen audio essays and I still need more, minimally another six. Uh, the deadline is November 1st, so you still have a little bit more than a week to get on it and all the details, once again, are in the show notes. And in terms of these Instagram lives that I've been wanting to do, uh, you know, like panel conversations about small businesses, what it's like to be a small business owner, etc. So few people have signed up to participate that I might not be able to pull it off, but I really want to. So once again, if that's something that interests you, uh, sign up. All the information is in the show notes. To get us ready for two months of meeting small businesses and hearing their stories, today's episode features two different conversations with small businesses that are trying to scale their business, meaning grow it, without sacrificing their values. It might sound like an easy problem to solve on the surface, but it's actually a big, huge riddle. That doesn't mean it is impossible, but it does mean doing things in new, unprecedented ways, and diversifying how, what, and where you sell stuff, ideas, etc. I've said it before, I'll say it again, bad business is a choice, and so is good business. It's just that we don't see a lot of good business happening on a large scale right now, so doing things the ethical way is pretty groundbreaking and disruptive in 2022. 
first, we're going to chat with Jennifer and Benita, who are two of the founders of Style Crush, an online secondhand slash resale platform that is trying to do things in a better way by ensuring that the people who sell on their platform, get ready for it, actually make some money. One of their big issues, and I share their frustration with Poshmark, Depop, etc., is that while the companies themselves are seeing massive revenue and exponential growth, the sellers themselves make very little because these platforms take such a big cut. It's especially frustrating, infuriating, you pick your favorite adjective, when you realize that the bulk of the dirty work is being done by the sellers between sourcing, listing, shipping, cleaning, mending, all the things. Yes, the platform is providing the platform, but the sellers are doing the hardest part of the work. So Jennifer and Benita are going to explain how and why they are working to do things differently. In the second conversation, longtime close horse friend and recurring guest, Selena Sanders, is back to tell us about what she has been doing to scale her namesake brand, Selena Sanders, how she keeps herself motivated and healthy because it is not easy, and she's going to talk to us about her new Domestica class. This episode is a little on the long side, but guess what? There will not be a new episode next week because I will be camping with my in-laws at the beach. So you have two whole weeks to get through this one. Maybe you can just split it in half or binge it all at once. It's up to you. So let's get started with Jennifer and Benita. All of you have met Jennifer in the past in episode 52, which to be fair, was a long time ago. And Style Crush has grown and evolved a lot since then. According to their website, quote, we believe profits from a marketplace should flow back to its community. By making Style Crush a member-owned cooperative, we're building that principle into the foundation of our organization. We'll never have outside investors pressuring us to do things that are better for the bottom line than our users. It may mean we have to grow a little slower than our VC-backed competitors, but we think that's actually a benefit. Prioritizing growth over functionality is what created this mess to begin with. I mean, obviously, I love all of this, especially after all the research I did into Etsy and eBay for the Etsy sods. The moral of that series, well, there were multiple, but one was that these platforms make it nearly impossible for their sellers to make a living, yet they sell their platforms as a way for, you guessed it, their sellers to make a living. And Poshmark for sure markets that idea to their sellers. Benita and Jennifer are going to tell us about how and why they want Style Crush to be a game changer in the resale community. So let's go. Why don't you tell everyone who you are? Who wants to go first? Oh, this is the problem with the co-op. We're all so thoughtful of each other. No one wants to go first. I'll go. You go. You go. Okay. No, you. No, I'll go. Uh, my name is Benita Robledo, and I'm one of the co-founders of Style Crush. And I am Jennifer Milkey, and I am another one of the numerous co-founders of Style Crush. <laughs> so there are a lot of us. Jennifer has been on the podcast before talking about Style Crush, talking about the importance of shopping secondhand and all of the things that you're doing at Style Crush to 
change the way we shop secondhand. And, you know, Jennifer reached out to me and I was again, and I was like, listen, I do not know what is happening in this world, but one of the most explosive topics I can post about on Instagram right now is shopping secondhand. Like, <laughs> like there are so many feelings going on there. And I get messages regularly about the gentrification of thrifting, which I I'm officially canceling that phrase from my vocabulary <laughs> um, because I feel like, I mean, I, there are numerous problems around that, but you know, like the argument is like there are more people shopping in thrift stores and things are more expensive that must be connected. But that's like actually not why, I mean, it might be slightly that, but there are many more reasons why clothes at thrift stores are way more expensive right now, namely like transportation and overhead costs. Um, but you are working in the secondhand space, right? What do you feel when someone comes to you and says like, uh, I hate that more people are shopping secondhand? You know, I I want to jump in here and say, I think it makes sense that people have a lot of feelings and a lot of mixed feelings about secondhand. And I think it's because it has become problematic in a lot of ways thanks to capitalism, right? Like yeah, yeah. And that's that's the real I mean that that's one of the big issues, right? Like people the we were talking earlier right about the fee structures now at Depop and on Poshmark and you know there are these companies that these really really large corporations that are coming in and trying to make as much money as possible to grow forever have unchecked growth mm-hmm. um through the secondhand market so it has completely changed uh, the 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 purpose, the ethos, the feeling around secondhand to begin with, which is honestly one of the big reasons that we started Style Crush and why we are a co-op and not just out to make as much money for ourselves as possible. Because like, quite <laughs> frankly, it's fucking bullshit. Yeah. So it, I it get is. it. I get it. I would say, too, you could even take a step back, like further beyond just how capitalism has impacted the secondhand space. And if you look at essentially the rampant overconsumption that is driven by not just, you know, anyone, any of the players in the secondhand space, but all of the players in the fashion industry writ large, you know, part of the reason that prices have gone up at thrift stores is because thrift stores have to spend millions of dollars discarding the trash that people quote unquote donate to them Mm -hmm. because they feel bad just throwing it away themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that is totally true. I mean, like we cannot underestimate the expense associated with disposing of all this stuff that people think they're not throwing out, but really they are. They're just taking a slightly longer path towards it, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember reading an article a couple years ago. It was early in the pandemic about how, you know, it it really was about like the uh, goodwill of California, right? Mm. That's that's not the name of it, but like whatever the organization there is that's running goodwill. And uh, how their disposal costs were just like quadrupling. Yeah, yeah, because, because 
people were bored at home and so they were getting rid of a ton of their stuff. And that is, I mean, like that's a legitimate cost. I'm not here to defend the Goodwill because I have a lot of problems with their, how they run their business. But Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. I also respect that because I've seen the stuff that people are ditching outside the Goodwill. And I also know that like transportation costs have, I mean, like we're talking some of the shipping costs out there, like have increased 10 times for, for logistics, which is like ultimately a lot of these large thrift companies or nonprofits are kind of like the logistics industry where they're just moving stuff around. Right. And so like, I see why those prices have increased. It's very clear to me. Um, it's unfortunate. You also add in the like real estate costs are so high. Also let's talk about cost of living, you know, like I, it, I want people to earn a minimum of $15 an hour. In fact, just the other day I did the math on that and I was like shocked to realize how low $15 an hour actually yeah. is, especially yeah. if you're living in an urban area, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. all of these costs, like you can't, you can't really be like, no, I want people to make a livable wage, but I also want to be able to pay $1.99 for used clothes. There's a disconnect there. I think it it always comes down to systems, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's all about the systems and it's so hard and it's so complicated and convoluted and it has all these things um, interconnected. So like I, I get it why people have a lot of feelings because when you are one small piece of that puzzle, it can, especially as a consumer, it can feel really unfair. Mm-hmm. And it's because basically all of these larger pieces of the puzzle are trying to screw you over because they don't care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, real stuff. Like, like, <laughs> like let's, let's, let's be honest, right? Um, and so it's, it's complicated. I have, you know what? I have complicated feelings about thrifting myself. I do, right? Like I get into arguments, not arguments. I get into discussions all the time about, well, should we thrift fast fashion? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that like, com- people ask that question all the time yeah. too. And, and that's a very complicated and nuanced answer. And I have my, my personal feelings on it, but I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's going to change, you know? And I think when you, when you are dealing with such a large, complicated issue, I like to think of this phrase that is actually from <laughs> that's actually from a fantasy novel that I'm like really obsessed with. Um, <laughs> it's like you clean the floor in front of you, right? You don't mm-hmm. you can't you can't look at the entire floor. You can't look that the entire floor is dirty and it's it's people are still tramping in mud every 5 minutes. Like you can't do that. You will right. drive yourself crazy. You have to clean the floor in front of you. You just have to take care of what you can take care of and slowly expand that as best you can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also, too, like what, what you're talking about, about that, the, the feeling of helplessness mm-hmm. when you're looking at this whole huge complex system, I think that that's the reason why people have a tendency to turn on other people Mm -hmm. because then Mm -hmm. you can like feel you're doing right. Like 
you can feel like, oh, I'm making it, I'm like helping to make change because I'm going to go after another person and like help right. them. I'm going to put help in, in quotation marks here. But, but I think that's what it's, I think there's actually a lot of good intention behind some of this not so pleasant exchange or, or yeah. like emotional response to this stuff. It's people wanting to do something and other human beings feel a lot more accessible than changing the whole fucking system, which seems like, I mean, I'm in it. I'm like actively trying to do it. And I'm still <laughs> some days I'm like, oh my gosh, like what? Like still feels so uh, helpless. So helpless. Yeah. You guys, so helpless. y'all, this <laughs> podcast just became such a bummer. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I also like will say that there is value in like admitting that because I, yeah. you know, like the medley of recurring themes I get in my inbox are like one, like secondhand shopping is on un- is unethical, which you know we're talking about right now. And the other one I get is like, you're delusional if you think that you can make any change because we can't. And mm-hmm. I think it's fair and it's real to say, hey, there are times where I feel overwhelmed by it all too, but we have to believe that we can make change and not give up on it. Yeah. Um, because these systems, they arose for a reason and they can be dismantled for a reason. So I, yeah. I, tr- I truly believe that. I mean, like looking at the thrift stores right now, right? Like if we're going to focus just on thrifting, like Jennifer already said, one of the problems is that so much stuff, the volume of stuff that is heading to into donation bins and thrift stores every day is like unbelievable. Astounding. Astounding. Like it's at really- an all time historical high, right? And that began way at the top with fast fashion. And I would extend that to like the fast fashionification of everything. Like yeah. the number oh, of totally. throw pillows Marshalls. I see at the go, right? Oh exactly. I know. Home the goods. Home goods. Oh, oh my God. see, exactly. I mean, it's like everything. Yeah. And so, you know, there are certain things that these thrift stores won't even take anymore because people were cycling through them so fast, like televisions and yeah. any technological stuff, right? Because they're like, People cycle through them way too fast. It's too much for us to handle. Like, I mean, this is just like an incredible volume of stuff. And it started because, you know, in like all of these different industries made it their business to grow every single year, Mm -hmm. whatever it took. And in order to do that, it meant two major things, selling us as much stuff as possible, as often as possible and paying everybody involved as little as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. so that they can continue to grow. So that's this large systemic problem at the top. And that's why there is so much, I mean, frankly, shit going into thrift yeah. stores every day, right? And the thrift stores themselves then are like, okay, well, we have to dispose of all this stuff. We also have to pay more people to sort through it all. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much stuff coming on, coming in that we can only put the most perfect things out there. So then there's also stuff that's probably decent that I like the average person would still buy. That's not making it onto the sales floor because there's just too much, too and, much. Right. Absolutely. And then what's happening is that stuff's all getting shipped off to another facility where it's sorted. And a lot of it heads overseas. And then there's still and such... then ruining those economies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and <those> environments. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wah, wah, wah. Because there's way too much for anyone and it's yeah. not great quality as we know. Um, because it's all part of that system at the top, which is sell us as much stuff as possible, as often as possible, and and, and apparently as cheaply as possible, right? So, like, it all still stems back up to there, and that is where we can have a, a major significant impact if we're working all together. 
lashing out at people who are trying to make a living selling secondhand is not the way to go. And something that has been on my mind for a while uh, is how the average secondhand seller uh, is probably not paying themselves a living wage and is really not Mm -hmm. really like, I mean, I, I joked once on Instagram that they're not getting rich, but that would be like, the understatement of the year, right? right? Because, because like, they're they're getting by. Are they getting by? Are they even able to pay their bills? Probably not. Probably not. And it's a twofold, like that's that puzzle or that problem is caused by two major things. One is like consumers don't want to pay more for secondhand clothing, which is really just like how messed up our, our concept of value of clothing is. But the other one is that there are people who are getting rich off of secondhand and it's mm-hmm. these platforms. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And the yeah. fees, I mean, they take a big chunk when I see some of those people like showing me like what they're paying after they sell something on Poshmark or Depop, I am upset. Yeah. Um, yeah. And same thing goes for Etsy. And so you said, you know, in the beginning, like style crush is a co-op. What does that mean? So the it's interesting because I, I we maybe talked about this last time but i think it bears repeating when i've had the idea for this marketplace for a long long time now like prior to really thread up and depop becoming huge things and um the reality is at sort of a bare minimum to to start something like this up and position it to scale you need like my budget is a million dollars and that's a that's a low budget tech startup to like build a platform is expensive, but then also to also to market it. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you've got like any of these big tech startups that are venture backed when they come into a new market space, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in marketing buy like ad buys every month, you know? So to be like a small company and compete with that, you just, you need a lot of money if you're going to actually get into this game and try and become a, a big competitor. So I was looking at raising venture money. And I just ultimately, even the earliest conversations, I could feel how it was positioning us to make a lot of money for a lot of people that had nothing to do with and very little interest in the sustainability of the secondhand space, the fashion side of the secondhand space, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and I, and I was like, how do we do this? There has to be a way to do this where we can put the money back into the community. And, and that's, I kind right. of like happened upon co-ops to be honest with you. And, and that was our driving, uh, sort of principle was we wanted the profits to stay within the community. And so, um, that's when sort of Benita got involved and Sabra from my style is my brand got involved and a couple of other people. And we sat down with a, an attorney who understood co-ops <laughs> Because we were sort of like, how do you build a co-op that can scale to like tens of oh, yeah. thousands? Of That's members, a hard one. You know? <laughs> it's, it's a very hard one. <laughs> it's a very new conversation. There's just not a lot of roadmaps, even though there's like a lot more mm-hmm. interest flowing into this space, particularly, what was it, a year and a half ago when we started really having these conversations, there just wasn't a lot of roadmaps. Um, and so we, the first thing you sort of sit down and decide was who are our stakeholders or who do we want to be our stakeholders? And in our case, we wanted the people who were like, you know, putting in the work up front to build this thing. We wanted the eventual employees of this thing. And then we also really wanted the resellers themselves because when you're building, I have a little more respect for like thread up 
and the real real because they're shouldering a lot of the burden of reselling. I don't know how they do it. They well, they're not profitable. No, they're definitely not. None of them not. are profitable. Yeah, but like Poshmark and Depop and Etsy and all these other eBay, all these other platforms, they outsource all of the work and risk yeah. to the resellers. Yeah. So, so when Jennifer first pitched this to me, I think the the easiest way to think about a co op is who gets profits, who makes money, right? Mm-hmm. Because in a typical corporation, it's it depends on who put money in to start with, right? Those right. are the people that have shares in the company, who have equity in the company. And for us, it's about – we care about the people that put the work in, right? Like the people who make the platform great deserve – to get money for that. Like, to me, it's like a br- simple They're bringing concept. the value. Like, they, they're bringing yes. the value. Seriously. I mean, when I did this series about Etsy last year, I was like, Etsy is just blowing it because rather their, their real source of their income is the makers and the sellers, mm-hmm. right? That's the real customer of Etsy. It's not the people who come and shop on Etsy, but Etsy was prioritizing the people who come and buy things over the true source of their income. And, you know, it was, I mean, people were, these sellers were like losing out in a major way. I mean, it's such a hard, like, look, building a two-sided marketplace is legitimately the hardest kind of a business to start because you, I mean, we're, we're constantly having this conversation about Mm -hmm. like, well, who do we prioritize? Do we prioritize the buyers or do we prioritize the sellers and whose needs Mm -hmm. are most important? Because you need both. You need both. You need both. But how, like, whereas I think, I mean, I think Etsy was wonderful in the beginning. I was super involved in Etsy from like 2006 to about 2010. And I think where they started was absolutely like with the heart in the right place. And I think they did a lot of great stuff in the beginning for sellers to really help people get established. I mean, their fee structure combined with this like reverse chronological listing thing always made it harder for sellers because you had to relist things and then pay to relist them, you know, in order to sell things. Right. So that, that was always kind of a drag for sellers, but a lot of their efforts in the beginning benefited both. But as soon as you move as a, as a company, like this was the problem with venture in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. As soon as you start taking that money from this system that is really, truly, I think by their own admission, set up to drive companies to billion dollar growth at all costs. <laughs> at all costs. It's true. Then, it's tr- then you like have to change your priorities. Your priorities mm-hmm. can no longer be about like what's best for my users. It's more like what's good enough for my users that we can continue this unsustainable growth. How much can we exploit <laughs> them before they before leave? they leave? Exactly. You know, yeah. So when Jennifer first talked to me about this idea, she slid into my DMs. <laughs> Totally. And, um, I was that. I was that working hey, together. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Um, and I came from doing kind of the sustainable fashion influencing online. I had a blog kind of from that world. And I had sort of stepped away, A, because I had kids. And then um, B, I just, it felt weird to constantly be pushing 
products, right? right? Even if it was yeah. a sustainable brand, it was just like, ah, it just, it just didn't sit right with me. And so when she first approached me and said, hey, I've got this idea for a secondhand marketplace. And I was like, okay, uh, cool. Not that into it. And then this was the, the idea of, and we're going to be a co-op and we are going to give money back to the people who sell with us. We are going to enrich those communities by giving the money Mm -hmm. back to the people who have earned it. And that is what really, really inspired me because I think, you know, we're talking about change. How do we change systems? We change it by giving money to working class people for the work that they have done, right? It's not a handout. Mm -hmm. They have done the work, right? They have earned that money. And I I truly believe that is how we make systemic change. That is how we create wealth in communities with working class class people. That is how we have a robust middle class, like giving economic power to the people who create economic wealth, I think is, is absolutely where it's at. And you know, one of the discussions that we had when we were forming this co-op structure and, and with the attorneys, we were all sitting around and we had to make a conscious decision that, well, how much money are we going to make off of this? You know, I remember the attorney- How much kind of, is enough? How much is yeah. enough? Yeah. You know, and I remember the attorney being like, okay, well, you guys- you, like, is everybody comfortable with this, that you are going to be capped at this much because everybody else is going to be taking this part of the pie. And we all just sort of looked around and we were like, yeah, that's plenty. That's fine. Okay. And, like, and I think like, that's, what's like amazing about co-ops. Yes. in the way that we're building it, but also I think there's a lot of this there is a lot of conversation around this happening and it's, it, it applies to money and it also applies to things in consumption, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think yeah. we as a culture have this opportunity right now to really ask like, what is enough? Like, like, yeah. you know, do we, yeah. need, do we need to make is, is, is a million dollars enough? Is $10 million enough? Should we have billionaires, you know? Right. 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 Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, I've been on, like, I've worked for several brands where we have been going after venture money. And uh, it's kind of, I look back and I'm like, I can't believe we even agreed to the things we were being asked to deliver Mm -hmm. because they were preposterous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I mean, when you hear about like these large, these, companies going bust that seemed like they were like the next big thing, it always comes back to this where it was like, well, you're going to go out and you're going to deliver up 50 every year. Mm-hmm. You're going to open like a, a hundred new stores in the next three years. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to be bigger than the gap in 10 years, like things like that. And you're like, why, why is that the focus? Like, why can't we focus on the, the ethical element of it? Yeah. Like, look, we have put a ton of work into this and I would like to earn money for that time. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. That would be nice. Like I have bills <laughs> to pay. I, you know, like I, I have shit that I legitimately need to spend that money on. Right. But 
like there just comes a point where like enough is enough. Like, enough what do is you enough. need? Enough is enough. I agree. And I it was agree. the the moment that that we were going through, like where I had sort of put my where I had turned away from the VC path and I was trying to figure out this alternative happened to be right at the same time that Poshmark was having their IPO. And I just remember being so also at the time I was doing a lot of lurking in like reddits about Poshmark sellers, you know, so I was really trying to listen to what sellers were going through and what their experience was. Cause I knew it really well from the buyer side, what my frustrations were. And I just remember being just so angry that with Poshmark, they're like my favorite nemesis because I can just see, (laughs) I can see the way the platform is designed and how it serves the process of going from that first day that you take your seed round of financing all the way Mm -hmm. up like the most steep incline you can deliver to an IPO. And what they built in that process didn't serve buyers. It certainly didn't serve resellers. They had no value without those two people. And then they went to an IPO and suddenly like the, the founder of Poshmark is worth $570 million. And I was just like, that's like, I hate that. I hate that. I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to be that person. I don't think that model should exist. And I was just so mad about like the, the, like the economic injustice and inequality of that. Like, yes, that person has put so much work and energy into the, into the platform. And I'm sure that a lot of the decisions they made, they were trying to make the best decisions, you know, but ultimately decisions for who, like, let's be honest. Right. Huge disparity. Like I want to make tens of millions of dollars, but I don't want to do that. Like when the people who are making my platform work or our platform work, are, like can't pay their bills like that. Ew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And you have to wonder: Do the people in leadership, like the CEO of Poshmark, do they know that? Do they know that people are not making a living despite probably working all the time? I uh, right because I, I feel like there's like this weird it, Poshmark particularly has like major MLM vibes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. well, because be- that's because of their growth strategy, right? Yeah. Because yeah. that's what, because they can go back to their investors and they can very clearly say, we have, you know, 10 million active monthly users. We have 5 million active resellers, you know, like they can, they, they literally like their whole thing is like built on this facade of how big they are. Mm-hmm. So, so actually there was this study that was done, oh gosh, I, I, I don't remember, but basically there were, people were given a monopoly to play and one person started out with like an extra $200 and had, it was something else. They were, I think maybe it was just the $200. They were given an extra $200 and those people mm-hmm. inevitably won. And when you spoke to them mm-hmm. and talked to them about it afterwards, they thought it was because they made better decisions. That they were just me. more skilled. So I think uh. that these, I know. So I think that these these people in power who have made these decisions, maybe they know that people aren't making a living, but I guarantee you that they blame mm-hmm. those people for those choices and reward themselves and say, "Well, I made better 
financial decisions. I made whatever. Like, there's just this mm-hmm. this belief that we are always the hero, mm-hmm. and we want to pat ourselves on the back. So I think that the biggest difference with people who are Oh God, I don't even know how to say it, but I think, I think what separates us and what separates a lot of ethical brands is that we don't have that disconnect. We realize that value is not always financial. Right. right. I totally agree. Work is work. And, and, and that success is also a lot of times circumstantial. Yeah. We want other people to succeed, you know, and, and that's not to discount people's hard work, right? People, people who are successful, I'm sure a a lot of them, I mean, sure some of them don't, but they are working hard too, but because of their circumstances, that hard work can lead them to a place of success. Whereas other people, no matter how hard they work, they're never going to be millionaires, billionaires. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how hard they work. It doesn't matter how smart they are. Let's even take it back further than that. Like they're never, they may work as hard as they work. They're never going to have a thousand dollars in the bank to deal with an emergency situation. That's It's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Right. I mean, like, you know, the people who are selling on Poshmark, like as their full-time job are a great example or anyone who's reselling as a full time job, you know, they are like, once again, like not getting rich off of this. And I am skeptical that they're even paying themselves a living wage. Yeah. I doubt doubt it. it. When we were, when I was doing, um, I think it was earlier this spring, we were in this amazing accelerator from an organization called start.coop and they are focused specifically on helping co-ops who want to answer this question of scale. Like how do you build a co-op that can actually scale up and compete with these venture back companies? And I was doing like some projecting basically. And I was trying to figure out like how to balance, (laughs) how to balance like how many things we sold and how many buyers we needed and how many, like how many things did people need to be resellers need to be able to sell at what average price in order to like make, and I didn't even make it like a high, like livable income. I think I had it at like, what do they need to be able to do to sell $50,000 worth of stuff or something like that? It is incredibly difficult to get to those numbers. Yeah. It is incredibly time consuming. It is like, it is so hard to get to those numbers. Yeah, no, it totally is. Even like, I, I think that there is this concern out there that resellers are marking stuff up a ton and then putting it out of reach of people. And I'm like, well, one, they're providing a valuable service that they should be paid for. And I can guarantee when you subtract all of their overhead expenses, which is more than just the item they bought, it's the laundry, yeah. it's the mending, it's the taking photos, it's their time, it's the gas to go sourcing, I mean, on and on and on, that they are probably not even making a keystone markup of 50%, which is like ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, I don't know. I think that there's people who have cracked a system that works really well for them. I think that, um, there's ways to source that can be really efficient. 
but even at bare minimum, and I've been kind of tracking, like, I, I'm a, I like to think that finding really cool shit is my superpower. <laughs> it is. Yeah, um, I agree. It is. It is. I, I've done really cool stuff, but I'm not, I'm not like good at like the listing processing, all that other part. But in, in trying to figure out what's fair as we set this thing up, I've been tracking really closely the time that it takes me to do um, everything from like the sourcing through listing complete. Mm-hmm. And all of that in is a minimum of 30 minutes. And I'm super efficient. Right, right. And then you have to count, like, what is the customer service? How many times do I have to go back and forth with people before they actually buy it? How many things do I have to list before I sell one of them? What percentage of things can I actually sell? The time that it takes to list and or to, to ship something and to get it to wherever they're going to deliver it. Like, all of that, I would say at a minimum, you're putting in an hour per item on average. Oh, yeah. And then there's all those costs that you just mentioned. So... I mean, A, we believe and that the the marketplace that we're building, the sort of central premise of that is that we can increase the efficiency of at least making sure that your listings as a reseller are landing in front of the buyers who want to buy that thing that you have to resell. Um, because on the other platforms, it's sort of like the wild west. I mean, who knows what you're going <laughs> to who, who knows? Oh my God. You can spend hours oh my God. as a buyer. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Poshmark is just, oh God, it's brutal. It's brutal. I hate, like I have literally had like the exact name of exactly what I'm looking for and I get results that have Absolutely nothing, nothing to do. Like, oh, completely to do. different category. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I found I find their filters infuriating as well. Yeah. And I know that the technology to do that kind of stuff costs money, but they should have that money, you know? Well, they've been spending it on marketing so that they can say that they have 65 million users. Yeah, no, I mean I can as you were talking about that, I was like, oh yeah, I can picture their fundraising deck like so clearly right now because I've, I've seen right. enough of these. Like I've seen the ones from uh thread up like way too many times. It's like the same kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, thread up, I can't even imagine how much money they're losing on a regular basis. Oh yeah. I mean, that model is so actually it's hilarious where we are right now. When Benita and I first started talking, I was like, yeah, we're totally not holding inventory. Oh. I do not want to do that. We're totally not doing that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Now we're completely doing that just because at the, in the beginning, like it kind of back to that two-sided marketplace thing, right? Like we've been hesitant. We know how hard it is to be a reseller. We know how precious your time is. So we've been hesitant to ask resellers to come in and dedicate that precious time to listing their mm-hmm. items when we don't have enough of a, of a buyer, um, flow at the moment to be reselling things really right. quickly. Right. So our solution to that was sort of like, all right, well, I'm really good at finding awesome stuff. And a lot of people I've become like known as the secondhand lady in our community. So people want to just donate their stuff to our cause. Right. And now we have like all of these items, but the weight of that, like storing it and processing it, it's very heavy. I would not want to be our goal is to sort of start here and then as we grow and as we increase that buyer audience that we can hand off the vast majority of listings to resellers. And then those resellers, the pro resellers specifically, they are actually our largest class of member owners once once we actually grow to that point. 
Um, so we've set aside 50% of the profits of the business go back to resellers in the form of rebates on any fees that they've paid into the platform initially. And eventually, if we are successful and we are able to scale to the size of like ThreadUp, I mean, I dream of scaling to the size of Poshmark, but I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a little more realistic at like ThreadUp is doing like 250 or $350 million in sales at the moment. You know, so if we can scale up that big, um, then we're, we're going to make that pro resellers class, um, less of a traditional patronage model where it's just a rebate on money they've paid in and really has an uncapped, um, return on their share of the profits. That's amazing. And I think, I think that there is so much tremendous potential there because people are going to leave Poshmark sellers first Mm -hmm. and then customers will follow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my dream is that somebody can come onto our platform and in a reasonable amount of time make a living selling their clothes. Yeah. I love yeah. that. That's what I want That's too. Amazing. Because it's my dream. I think that there is a belief out there that people are, and I think only a small right. select are. It's the same thing with Etsy. There are some makers on Etsy who are 100% running their own business. They don't have a second job, right? Mm -hmm. The vast majority of them do not. Right, are not. And I I think we really do need to have respect for resellers because it's hard. It is hard. It's hard to find those treasures, going back to just how much there is in a thrift store, right? Like there's so much junk, right? Like Mm -hmm. nobody's going to go and you're not going to be able to make money just going in and, oh, here, I just picked out this Forever 21 shirt or I picked out this um, guess shirt, right? Like you have to dig for the things that are actually going to make you money if you're a reseller, things that are going to be interesting, things that people are going to be looking for. On that note, I do think it's worth differentiating. Like what I see on Poshmark, and I think one of the drawbacks of it is that there's a lot of people and probably really the people who are most successful on Poshmark are, they're really just sort of flipping Mm. tags and running the algorithm, Mm -hmm. right? Like what are the brands that are selling the best right now? I know J. Crew sells well for me, so it doesn't really matter what it is. I'm going to pick up J. Crew and I'm going to put it in my closet, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Whereas our approach, particularly with the pro reseller levels, we're really taking a less but better approach. So we're not trying to have a million pro resellers. I think even when we scale up, we'll be looking at like tens of thousands at that Mm -hmm. level. And we're really looking for the people who do bring that strong aesthetic sense, like who are not just buying brands to flip because they flip well, but who are like, like how good is this piece and how does it integrate and how do you style it? We really have this strong focus on pairing a conscious consumption through rediscovering personal authentic style Mm -hmm. with the clothes that you need to execute that. Um, And I think that's another really key differentiator between, you know, what we're doing and how we're approaching this thing that is really going to resonate with buyers. And I think is going to make it easier for buyers. Because I know personally, so before I started working on this project, I shopped mostly secondhand, but I I never resold clothes. That just 
I was never on a reseller side. And one thing that I found as a buyer was it's just really overwhelming. There's so much stuff and I don't really know what I'm looking for. I just know that I'm kind of bored. I kind of want something new, but I don't know what it's going to look good on me. I don't necessarily know how to pair it. It, it just felt hard yeah. in a way that like you walk into a store and it's not yeah. hard because things are kind of put together in a certain way. There's like a vibe and you're like, oh, I could wear this, this. And so what I really love about our concept and Jennifer's idea was that it's a you can shop based on outfit inspiration. So you can see a beautiful outfit and say, oh, that's that's really cool. And then it gets broken down into the elements. And you're like, oh, well, I have this, this, and this element, but you know what I don't have? I don't have ankle booties. Let me see if I can find ankle booties on the site. Yeah. So you, you, can, you can use what's in your closet. And I had this moment just last week <laughs> where, you know, we've, we've been bringing in outfit inspiration and there's this woman that I had found and I really liked her style. And so I, I, you know, I asked her, Hey, can we use, you know, can we use your stuff? She said, no problem, put it up. And I started following her and she just has this really great way of layering. Just kind of, I, I've always, I've always approach to layering as like you have one big thing and then you have one little thing, right? Like to kind of balance <laughs> yeah. out the proportion. Yeah. <laughs> and this woman, she just goes big on top of big on top of big, right? She just like goes for it. And I was like, God, that's really cool. Like she looks cool. She just looks cool. And so I tried it and I, I figured out how to wear this outfit that I, I never would have put together if I hadn't seen this woman. And it was actually with one of the pieces that I had gotten on our live sale. So far we are our best customers. Uh, bought something from Jennifer. And, but I didn't know how to wear it. And I got, and I was like, oh my God. And I just, I was so inspired. And I like, this sounds very silly because I'm just like complimenting the platform that I'm helping to build. <laughs> but, but this was not my idea. So I feel like it's okay that I say this. <laughs> like I knew intellectually it would work, but to have it work in my own life, uh-huh. you know, as somebody who, that was so who fun. already feels like I have a strong sense of style, I have a good aesthetic, like I'm already really confident when putting together clothes and this just like elevated it even more. So I'm like, oh my God, like what is this going to do for the person who maybe isn't as confident? Like I just, I fell in love with our concept. <laughs> I mean, I love this. I, love I was you. talking to someone earlier today about how, you know, something that people don't realize or they forget is that you can be sustainable, have a secondhand wardrobe or upcycled or whatever. And really put the capital F back on fashion, right? Like as an art form, as a creative expression. And like people need to be reminded of that and taught about that and to feel confident. I think that's one way we Mm -hmm. like destigmatize secondhand because for those of us who live in that world, we like don't get it that you would ever think that secondhand is less stylish or interesting. But like that's, there are a lot of people out there who, who feel that way, you know, they've been conditioned that way. Yeah. And I think if we can show people how you can still be unique and special and feel your best in secondhand clothing, that's a major, that's a major feat. I mean, it's going to be 
we know it's true. We just need to show more people. And I think yeah. when you look at a site, like, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm like super picky on Poshmark here, but I do feel like deep- it's fine. I feel- they're, they're Jennifer's favorite. <laughs> okay. Okay. Like, you've I, got the right or, and I will say, I, I will say thread up also similarly, like it's so item focused um, mm-hmm. and brand, yes. and brand yes. focused, exactly. right. That it's never exactly. about uh, style. style. And sometimes style has nothing to do with brand. No, oh, no, always. No. I mean, honestly, this is actually, I'm going to give a little shout out for two reasons here to our, uh, our other, one of our other co-founders, Sabra, my, my style is my brand. Her style is bonkers. Amazing. I mean, yeah. we're just like, hands down, Sabra has the best style of all Absolutely. of us. Um, but she will tell you, she, and she from our group is the newest comer to secondhand. And she will tell you that her style and her like joy and self-expression in how she got dressed just exploded when she started shopping secondhand because it just, it, it takes you out of, I mean, look, what's really useful about like mall shopping or brand shopping is everything's kind of merchandised for you and put together. So you're like, okay, I can re you know, buy this thing and do that thing. And then, but it doesn't like come from you. And when you, when you go to a thrift store or even if you're, you know, shopping on the regular marketplaces right now and you start to pick out items that really work and then you start to play and integrate it into your wardrobe, that's how you start to like find your own style. But I think the problem is like, that's fine for people like me or Benita or Sabra who already have a strong sense of our style and, enjoy, and how to put things together and enjoy, and enjoy that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think we could also say lots of people don't. And instead of what I think usually happens, which is those people get often stuck in the cycle of shame about like, well, I'm just not good at fashion and I'm never going to find confidence here and I just can't do it. And I'm, you know, insufficient in some way or another, right? We as women love to love to dig into our inefficiencies, (laughs) (laughs) Um, insufficiencies. I mean, but it's like, it's like, like an oil change in your car. Like never once have I been like, Oh God, I'm such an insufficient person because I just outsource getting my oil change. I say that all the time. No, No. (laughs) okay. I don't like, I would never think twice about that, but you know, like fashion should be the same way. Like if you can go and find those individual items and turn it into your own thing and enjoy that. Amazing. If that's not you cool, outsource that shit. Let other people do the styling for you. And just something else that I want to touch on a little bit in terms of like our future dreams. One of the big things about this platform, we're really focused on like the resale marketplace aspect of it right now. Cause like that's the stage that we're in and trying to build that. But long-term, I think there's also this really exciting potential here where we can take these resellers who do have a really great sense of style and the ability to merchandise things and put things together well. And we can, we can, the plan is to build a suite of services for them that helps them expand beyond just single item buying and reselling and puts them into a space where they can be working as personal stylists, but in an efficient way that also makes personal styling more accessible for more people. Yeah. I mean, I love that because yes, clothing is a basic need. It shelters us from the sun and the elements, but ultimately what makes uh, fashion meaningful to us is how it makes us feel and empowering people to feel their best in their clothes and it not be the result of a huge brand new shopping spree from Shein is a big deal. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
Because also probably they're never going to feel great. No, it's true. Anyway. It's true. And, and I would argue that, that that desire to have your outside reflect your inside, I believe that that is intrinsic to people. Because let me tell you, I have a 26-month-old who has to change like five times a day <laughs> because, well, now she wants to wear – the purple stripes. Well, now I'm really feeling the owl shirt. Like, she, and she, <laughs> and, and, and you can tell this isn't just changing for changing sake. No, like, she has this desire. No, I need to wear this thing now. Um, so I think anything that we can do to to support that, which I, I truly believe is a deep need in people, even if it's just I need to wear a black shirt and jeans every day, right? That is, that is still your outside reflecting your inside. Right. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. anything that we can do to support that, I'm all for it. Yeah. Because it also, it helps people show up more fully in their world, you know? And I think more people showing up more authentically, I mean, like talk about system change, maybe it seems frivolous, but I really think these two things are tied together, right? Like if you can reimagine, the possibility that you could show up more fully in the world and that your clothing and what you wear can be this sort of like fertile fake it till you make it <laughs> kind of ground, yeah. you know, like then, then like once people have are like they're tapped into that authenticity, then they can speak more forcefully and fully and loudly and embrace and imagine other things. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is like a bit like too woo, I mean, but I really, I, you know, I I agree. I'm like, because then but, you're embodied, right? You're fully embodied as who you are. I mean, I I love hearing this. I'm excited for any company that the two of you are running. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and there's and there's like a whole bunch more. Amazing, yeah. amazing. <laughs> yes, we're all like, yes, let's create huge systemic change through Total pretty close system change exactly <laughs> well Absolutely. i mean like that does sound probably frivolous to people but like clothes started the problem mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so maybe we can yeah. use, maybe clothes are part of the solution right uh, i love that <laughs> Let's take a moment to thank a new supporter of Close Horse, Athletic Greens. They have a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because it's important that I feel as healthy and energized as possible. If I'm going to be able to do all the stuff I need to do in a given day, from working my day job to creating Close Horse to reading my ever-growing mountain of books, this means I need a supplement that fits into my life easily and is actually enjoyable to take. I've taken some very unenjoyable supplements. For a while, it seemed like half my suitcase for every business trip was just bottles of vitamins, and AG1 has changed my life because it only takes up a tiny, tiny bit of space in my bag, and I really enjoy taking it. Who says that about a supplement? I have never said that before. But I mean it. I've been on it for a few months now, and I love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It has a kind of mild tropical with a hint of vanilla taste that I actually look forward to each morning. I'm, I'm serious. I, I'm excited to drink it in the morning. 
So you're probably asking, like, what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all of the things you care about. It's very lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, or only Taco Bell, AG1 fits for you. It also costs you less than $3 a day. It's way cheaper, trust me, I did the math, than getting all of the different supplements yourself, which I appreciate as a very thrifty person. I also love that I'm skipping all of the plastic packaging ways for all of the supplements I was taking in the past. So many containers. I am not an athlete. When I do work out, it's in very uncool pajamas. But AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits for me. It's one thing I can do every single day to take great care of myself. For every purchase, Athletic Greens donates to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the United States. In 2020 alone, AG donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. My other vitamins weren't doing anything for anybody else except filling up my suitcase. Right now is a great time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. Shake it up and enjoy it. There's no need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. Seriously, the first thing I do every morning, well, first I feed the cats, but then I mix up my scoop of of AG1 with some water. I shake it up and I sit on the couch and drink it while I listen to NPR and it is delightful. To make it easy, because I know you're so jealous, you want to try this now, Athletic Greens is going to offer you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash clotheshorse. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash clotheshorse to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thank you so much to Benita and Jennifer for spending some time with me. I hope by now all of you are obsessed with getting involved with Style Crush. You can sign up at stylecrush.co and give them a follow on Instagram at joinstylecrush. Obviously, this will be in the show notes. Go follow right now. I am so excited about what they are doing and I want this to be so successful because it will be a game changer for the entire resale industry. And I think it can have so many more effects on how business runs in the future. Okay, now let's shift gears to my conversation with Selena. In our conversation, Selena touches on something that I explained way back in the Etsy-sodes, the idea of runway. Runway is a great startup business term, and if you're a small business owner, you're probably thinking about your runway, even if you don't know what that term means. Runway refers to how many months your business can keep operating before it's out of money. Basically, 
how long you can stay in business with your current sales and expenses without either going into debt or taking on more investment. An investment in a small business case could be putting stuff on your credit card, taking out a small business loan, getting some grants or actual outside investors. For startups, for larger businesses, we're talking like VC investment, right? Which is, if you've listened to the Etsy sods, the uh, money with the most strings attached, we'll just say that. So when a big business, like a massive startup, you know, like WeWork, Etsy, some of my past employers, is still in the runway mode, it means they aren't making any actual profit when they deduct the cost of what they're selling and their overhead expenses from the money they're bringing in from sales. And when you're a small business, you're kind of always in the runway mode. And that's okay, as long as you're planning things the right way. Any profit that you do make adds just a few more inches or feet to that runway, which in this case really means days, weeks, or months of time you can run your business. And with the right balance, your runway begins to feel infinite because it's constantly extending itself. That's a profitable, healthy business. And if you aren't making any profit, well, the runway just keeps getting shorter. That's why my advice to all small business owners, it's one of the first things I say. Well, actually, the first thing I say is you better be paying yourself a living wage. And the second thing I say is you need to be putting aside a little bit of profit from every single sale to protect yourself from all kinds of unforeseen events that could shorten your runway, whether that's a global pandemic, a broken leg, a long illness, just the fact that you need to take a break, or familial stuff. I mean, all kinds of stuff can come up, right? And you want to protect yourself and keep that runway going, even if you need to take some time off or your business is just a little bit slower for a while. Unfortunately, a lot of these startup businesses, they don't do that. Uh, You know, we see all of these just like epic collapses of big name startups, you know, WeWork being a really big example, because they were spending lots of money that they just didn't have. And they were spending way more money than what they both were bringing in via sales and what they were bringing in from investors. And they just ran out. Now, your runway, especially if you're a big corporation, especially if you're an older, more established business, can really reveal the values and priorities of your business. Like if your runway is massively long, which I've worked places like that. I worked for a company that always had $100 million in the bank at all times. That's a really long ass runway. (laughs) It probably means a few things. It probably means either you're marking up your product a ton and it's possibly low quality or scammy and or, because these things tend to travel together, you aren't paying people enough or hiring enough people. It probably means your staff is underpaid and you're they're doing the jobs of several people. If you're a small business and your runway feels infinite, uh, you're probably doing all the work and it's time for you to get yourself some help. You're going to burn yourself out. That's another piece of advice that I always give small businesses. Know when you need to hire someone to help you or someone's what you can outsource, that kind of thing, because you need to protect yourself in so many ways, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, If your business has been around for a long time and your runway is always this close to running out, 
you're probably spending too much money, whether it's on inventory that isn't selling, on marketing that's not bringing in a lot of repeat customers, on staffing, like maybe your team is too big. It's a rarity these days, but it's definitely a common issue in early startup culture. Like those companies who are just bringing in epic amounts of VC money, they often hire too many people or spend too much money on foolish things. If you're a small business and you're always this close to running out of money, I would definitely get some professional help. Hire someone to take a look at your budget, to take a look at your pricing, to take a look at where and what you're selling and help you figure out where you have some opportunities. Now, I'm going to use an example from my real life, ripped from the headlines, a place I've worked to demonstrate how a startup ran out of runway by you know, spending way too much money. And that was Nasty Gal. They ran out of money and they filed for bankruptcy. They were acquired by Boohoo. Everyone lost their jobs. Um, And it was due to several large issues and probably a ton of other smaller issues that related to what I call poor fiscal discipline. (laughs) But I'll tell you, for one, the company was spending way too much money on customer acquisition. They were spending more than $100. I want to say at one point it was $240. $240. And this was in like marketing, you know, Google AdWords, ads on social media, that kind of thing. They were spending all that money to get one customer to come to the site, right? Like a new customer. Ultimately, these new customers would come to the site. They'd make one purchase ever, usually somewhere between $50 and $70. And either they would never, ever come back and buy anything again because they were disappointed, or they would return everything and never come back again because they were disappointed. And so every new customer cost Nasty Gal hundreds of dollars. And they blazed through a lot of VC money trying to bring in new customers. Now, how that applies to you as a small business is that maybe you, I don't know, you are spending a lot of money on Instagram ads. Stop doing that. Or you're giving away too much swag or doing too many giveaways on Instagram, giving too much stuff to influencers. These are things that can cut into your bottom line and shorten your runway. Next, Nasty Gal carried way too much inventory and they never cleared it out. Like one piece of advice I give everybody, no matter the size of their business, is the inventory that you have is how I like to imagine it because I've read a lot of fairy tales, uh, is that the stuff you have to sell was once money and had a curse put on it that turned it into stuff. And your job as the small business owner is to turn that back into money. Because unless you're willing to put into the long, long game of waiting decades for something to become vintage, you gotta sell it now and get that money back so you can reinvest it in your business, whether that's buying new product, hiring people, or just keeping that runway going. When I joined Nasty Gal, The first week I looked at those reports, some of the categories had several years of inventory on hand. For example, sweaters had three years worth of inventory. What does that mean? It means that we could have continued to sell sweaters at the same rate we were for three years before we ran out. And that is just, that is not where you want to be. If you're a small business, you want that to be an even smaller period of time, like just a couple months at most. You got to take markdowns, you got to price it to move when it's not moving, and you need to sometimes cut the sentiment out of it. Uh, You can't be attached to these things that you bought or made if no one's interested in buying them, right? 
the last thing that we did at Nasty Gal, and I know why I say we, because I definitely did not have a part in any of these decisions. I'm just a we kind of person. (laughs) But this could be a really great lesson for all of you as well, no matter what the size of your business is, is that we spent too much money on things that weren't going to make an impact on the business from a revenue perspective, meaning they weren't going to make us money, but they sure did shorten the runway. We had a big fancy office in downtown LA and a stunning building. And the whole office was just filled with very expensive furniture and art. We had a huge store in Santa Monica. The rent was at least $25,000 a month. Actually, that it might have even been more than that. And I'll tell you, it wasn't even bringing in close to that in sales. So we're just bleeding money on that. Um, we had massive sample and travel budgets for design. But meanwhile, we didn't have the money to make all the products that the design team was making. And it was just a million other things. Death by a thousand paper cuts, as they call it. But we ran out of money. And the company went bankrupt. And everyone lost their jobs. That's the financial side of the runway. And that's a really important part of the puzzle. But I think that a lot of small business owners get stuck there with the financial runway and they don't think about the other kind of runway. As a small business owner, your runway is not only financial, but it's also physical, mental, and emotional. I can honestly say that there have been times where I have just thrown my hands in the air and said, I have no more ideas or words to give to Close Horse right now. And that usually means for me, as I'm running out of that emotional runway, that I just need some rest and time off to maybe get out there and do something fun for a change. Part of being a small business owner, and that includes being a content creator, is maintaining the emotional runway just as much as that financial runway. And I think we all get hung up on the financial side of it. But it's so important to get rest and take breaks and realize that you can't do everything yourself and work paid help into your financial plan. Ultimately, extending your emotional runway allows your business to grow, to be efficient, to gain loyal customers and keep you inspired and motivated. If you're feeling that that emotional slash creative runway is just a little too short for you, It's time to start giving yourself a break right now before your business feels the negative impact of a broken owner, maker, seller, and human. So Selena and I are going to talk about that today, especially the emotional runway aspect of it. So let's jump right into my conversation with her. So Selena, I feel like you are a person who at this point needs no introduction because anyone who's been around Close Horse for a while knows who you are. But why don't you just go ahead and remind remind everyone of who you are, you know, for people who maybe are like are bad with names or, you know, new to Close Horse. Amanda, hello. And to the Close Horse community, it's your friend, Selena Sanders. <laughs> Uh, Clothes Horse uh, Forever Friend. Um, I am a big fan, obviously. And um, I am based in Altadena, California, a little, little town. And I have a namesake brand um, called Selena Sanders. And we specialize in upcycled clothing. Particularly, um, we use home goods, soft goods, you know. So think about your kitchen, like linens and such. Um, My specialty really is kind of like... The tea towel, the humble tea towel. <laughs> it is. It is the humble tea towel. I it can't see one tea. without thinking of you. 
I did not really, I did not expect that that would be sort of what I would lean into, but it, it really is just my love for this one particular humble piece of, you know, kitchen linen that I've really taken it to great lengths to really stretch its like capacity and what it can do. Um, and obviously I combine that with um, other found objects, curtains, bed sheets. Um, you name it, placemats, um, really it's, so now my new mantra is really from like, you know, how like it's farm to table. It's now from table to closet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And like, these garments are just beautiful works of art. I mean, anybody who knows your stuff can close their eyes and picture it. It's so signature of Selena Sanders, you know, just like iconic at this point in the slow fashion community. I oh, say. you are way too kind. Way, uh, way, oh, way, way too kind. I'm still. It's so, um... <laughs> it's so true. Everybody who knows your stuff is like, oh, yeah, it's going to have this like beautiful sleeve and these great mixed patterns. It's going to be really feminine. And, you know, you've been doing this now. I mean, did you start in 2020 or was it 2019? I sure did. 2020. And back then, you know, you came and well, like virtually because we were still very quarantined. You came on the podcast for several episodes where you really talked about your story. And I can't believe it was that long ago. So what are you up to now? I cannot believe it either. I know. But doesn't it feel like it was way longer than that for some reason? I don't know about you, but it feels like... <laughs> It feels like 20 years. It does. I feel like I have been through so much change and so much, I don't know, stuff and ideas and things I've observed outside of me and things that have happened globally. And just, it's been like, I don't know, like 20 years of events crammed into like two years. It's really exhausting, actually. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, it 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 is. There is a really well. I mean, just to kind of go back to like your your earlier like statement in terms of like how long I've been doing this now. Again, started the business kind of accidentally because of the pandemic. You and I have <laughs> like spoken about this in great lengths at yes, like the you know first time we recorded the um the three amazing episodes <laughs> that three um, episodes. Yes, it was three <laughs> episodes. Pretty epic. <laughs> It is really epic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but again, like it just kind of came off of all of us sort of trying to figure out what we're doing right and then stumbling upon different niches of what we can do. So um, with that, I I actually ended up re-listening to our episode maybe a year after because I was trying to kind of go back and just understand where I started and then kind of in the middle of it and where I, I feel like I'm headed you know, mm -hmm. um, really, I've my business just started turning like two really or turned two in June. Mm. And that's pretty young of a wow. company, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I've learned so much. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've made wins. I've also made a lot of like I've had some losses, obviously, in terms of maybe things in my personal life because I'm spending so much more time on the business or, you know, certain mm -hmm. like my social life. Like there's there's all these things, you know, and also having the pressure of feeling like you want to constantly scale up. The last time I called into your show, we had a very mini conversation about what is usually next for a small brand that just starts. And the idea of scaling is like a thing that was talked about quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And for a sustainable brand like myself and the model of upcycling and doing small batch production 
that is kind of, you know, it, it was one that I struggled with because I really wanted to grow. Like I really wanted to grow fast. I wanted to hire more people, maybe get a studio, maybe do wholesale, like do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, um, sometimes, uh, you know, our kind of our way to measure success and scale, uh, I think has to be individualized and looked at from a very unique standpoint and case by case basis. And it was really hard for me to understand that in the beginning because I had kind of a set like understanding in the industry of what um, success and scaling look like. But in reality, maybe that model has to change depending on like what really suits your lifestyle and your priorities and your goals. Yeah, if that makes sense. No, I think that totally makes sense. I mean, thinking about, you know, you started Selena Sanders at the same time I started Close Horse. And I've definitely been going through that thought process for the past few years. Definitely last year, I thought about it a lot at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And then again, recently, actually, where I'm like, wow, you know, I'm like two years into this. And it's, I mean, like, I I'm embarrassed to admit this, but like I put in so much work on this and I definitely don't make any money off of it at all. And so it is my day job that enables me to have the luxury to work on this other thing that I feel good about and I really am passionate about, but doesn't, you know, if I didn't have that day job, I couldn't do this. Um, but when you're yeah. in a business that has to also be your day job, it it, ha- it just has to be so terrifying and so it's- stressful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every day I have this sort of like, I smile, but then there's this a, a little bit of like nervousness in the smile because yeah. <laughs> I always, <laughs> because right now I have to admit, I'm quite lucky in a sense that, um, you know, I have a good family dynamic to lean upon, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm not like, you know, I have a kid, but I'm not a single mother and my husband has a full time job. So that gives me certain luxuries that maybe a person who might have a different um, situation might not have the luxury of doing. So I, I'm constantly grateful and I constantly recognize those things. Um, but at the same time, I still put a lot of pressure upon myself to do this on my own in a sense that I I don't want to just rely on my husband, you know, because any day now, especially, I don't know if you guys have been checking the news, but, and feeling it, you know, whether you're going to the pump or buying groceries, like prices are just Mm -hmm, so insane. mm -hmm. And I can feel that even within my customers. Like I, I know that maybe during the pandemic, everybody wasn't really like spending money on experiences and all that stuff. And maybe they had a little bit more money safe, safe, aside for like things that they do want to purchase. But now that everything's opened up and thank God that like we're trying to get a handle of this pandemic already, you know, trying to get an understanding of it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's just so much stuff. And I always constantly feel like I need to constantly be on my game and I, I feel like I'm just going to lose whatever it is that I might have like tomorrow. I don't know if a lot of you guys have that feeling, but I do. I constantly have that feeling. Oh. It, it might just be the Libra sign. No, because I'm a Leo, Selena, and this is me every <laughs> single day. You know, I already had that feeling 
before the pandemic because when my daughter's father died, I I lost every aspect of my life that I knew to have at that point, right? Like all my friends, my job, where I lived, and everything kind of fell apart. And, you know, I felt like I was so tenuously holding on to everything for so long. And by the time the pandemic came, I felt like, you know what, I'm getting into a good place. Like, we're okay financially. We're not great, but we're okay. And, you know, Dylan is doing great. And I have an amazing partner. And like, even if I wasn't super happy with certain aspects of my life, including my job, at least I felt like we were we were safe and good. And then the pandemic came and pulled that rug out from under me. And even though I have a job again, and like, you know, we're okay financially, at least for now, it's always... F- at least for now, right? Like now I feel like I can never stop worrying that we're going to lose everything again. Yeah. I, I honestly think that this is a, this is more common than we think. I I think so too. And I don't know about you, Selena, but like for me during the pandemic, I felt like it was my job. Maybe job isn't the right word, but it was my obligation to minimize how bad things were for us, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like finally now that I can come out and say like, things were really bad for us. We, you know, we had to move because we couldn't afford our rent anymore. And there would be months that would go by where I wouldn't get my unemployment benefits. No one would hire me. It just felt like my world was collapsing around me. At one point, I literally had to do, do like dental surgery on myself at home. I don't even want to talk about it. It was, oh it, was God, it was very <laughs> traumatic, but it all worked out fine. And, and like, wow. like, I think there were a lot of all of us, mm-hmm. you know, most of us were like, oh, my God, things are so scary right now. I can't even handle it anymore. So it was almost like we couldn't say it out loud because then it would be real. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That escapism, sometimes we just need once in a while and just to kind of sort of turn off some of the realities because it's constantly in front of us. You know, there's so many reminders, right. not just within our homes, even within walking around in our communities and like reading the news and all these things, it's constantly there. So I just try to savor every little moment um, as best as possible. So even little things like I hate ripping seams. It's the worst thing ever. <laughs> it's <laughs> That is the worst. I, I, and I feel like I've done every trick to kind of just like jump over this very arduous task. But even with that... <laughs> I Google it. I YouTube it. I try my best to figure out like the fastest way to do it. There's just no getting around it. You know, Um, there is. Yeah, (laughs) it's like you just have to do it. And even at that, I get really frustrated and I easily get very um, sad and down, you know, when things aren't going the way that I want them to. Um, And that's the most amazing thing about making clothes is it it's such a it really humbles you. You know, it's like it will tell you this is what I want to be and this is how you're going to get me there. And you can't you have to be patient. And it's really a really great lesson in patience. And so when I'm doing little tasks like this, I just have to sit there and just say, you have a roof over your head. You can eat, you know, you can eat. You have all these things in your life right now. This is a small problem, Selena. Like, just sit and relax <laughs> and enjoy it. Does that make sense? Like, even making a cup of tea in the morning or just, like, walking outside. Like, I being present, I think, is such an important thing that I've just learned over the last two years because I know whether or not I decide to keep doing this or abandon it completely. Like, I need to savor those moments. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm making any sense. Oh, totally. You know, I started working a full-time job actually a year ago this week. And I, there are so many days where I just like miss the time I had for myself. 
the time I had to spend with Dustin, the time I had to just think or pet Brenda or work on projects. And I don't – like, time is the ultimate luxury now, and it's just, like, something I don't have. And even though things were really hard a year ago, I am glad that I let myself enjoy those things yeah. because I knew that it wouldn't last mm-hmm. either way, you know? Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely yeah. those little moments that we should definitely remember from the hard times. So – yeah, it's 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 very interesting to just kind of look back and you and I have this common feeling of like moving our, you know, you moving clothes forward, forward and me moving my brand forward. What does that really mean? And even mm-hmm. if I, for example, say that there are certain milestones that I may confirm a conventional standpoint, like, oh, you know, I should be I should maybe gain some wholesale customers by now or, you know, I should maybe um increase my production like there's all these things that should be followed um i don't really get mad or upset or feel like those are failures in my life anymore because i've i've started to do this chart now where i get to really um measure the different wins in my life whether i'll have one column for like what did i make this month like how much money did i make this month and then another column of like how much time that I spend in taking care of myself, right? Like that's mm-hmm. one level that. of scale of um, success. And then the other column is like, did I spend extra time with my kid? Did I do certain, like, I always make a list of things I want to do with Logan and I, I you know, want to hit those points. And did I make the time to do that with him? Did I, you know, just go get ice cream with him this this week. And those are different measures for me now. And I'm, I'm so much more accepting of the times where maybe I'm not doing well financially this month. Um, and then I mm-hmm. look and see the other columns and they look pretty rich and amazing. And I'm like, okay, like I can now feel less stressed maybe about the fact that like, fine, I've already met my quota in terms of like paying all my bills. But that profit portion of it, I might not be needing this month, but at least I'm gaining so much more other things, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But again, these are just things for myself. Obviously, if you're listening out there right now, you can create those columns depending on who you really are and what you love and the things that you can realistically afford to do, you know, Um, because at the end of the day, I think it's a mental game, like having a business, having a passion and then trying to make money out of that business and passion is such a mental game. And it's one of those that I feel Mm -hmm. like is so self-inflicted within myself. Um, (laughs) Right? All my pains are all (laughs) self-inflicted. Ah, I hear you. I hear you. But you know what, Selena, like everything you're talking about, I mean, these are like anybody who's listening to this conversation who has a project that they work on or their own business or something really important to them, they, they feel this and they know this. And you as I have I, have worked for some pretty unethical businesses, right? And what I have found is that the impatience with this, I don't know, it's like, I hate to say it's a process, but like building a business, scaling a business, scaling a project, whatever it is, it it takes time and it often takes resources as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in our situation neither of us really has like resources per se Mm -hmm. but at least we have time and we have to play the long game I guess Mm -hmm. but people who get really and businesses who get really impatient with the time aspect of it or even the resources will start to make 
ethical concessions. Yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. And they will. T- Right. Take money from someone dodgy. I'm sure if you like wanted to go out and get investors right now who were like total scumbags, you could in a week. Right. Uh, But they would be demanding things from you that you wouldn't feel good doing. You know, they'd be like, we're going to make fake tea towels and then you're going to make clothes out of them. Except the clothes are going to be made in another country by people who only make 10 cents. Right. Like it would it would go down that. And and we need exponential growth every year. Like that's that's how that goes. Or people like who are like, you know what, I to get this business even bigger to grow it i'm i'm not going to be afraid to step on people right yeah. or treat people badly or make decisions that are bad for the planet all of these things like i've worked for companies who couldn't handle the slow process of it all mm-hmm. and so they pushed the fast forward button and they did things along the way that i don't know i hope they regret now you know on some in some level they look back and are like wow that was that that really changed who i am and what I do, you know? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. All those things that you are saying are a hundred percent true. Um, I have spoken to a friend of mine who owns a fairly well, um, sized, like sustainable brand here in Los Angeles. And she was just talking to me about being approached by Shein out of places. And they were going to give her $50,000 right on the spot just so that you know because they're trying to do this like ooh, sustainable we're gonna fund to kind of offset all the crap and shit that they do which is like and unfortunately some of our gen z um kids out there who are buying into this i mean it's not their fault they don't know you know i mean so it's our it's Mm -hmm. our fault to it's it's put it's incumbent upon us i guess is what i'm trying to say that like we just have to educate as much as possible and spread the word out Mm -hmm. there in terms of really shedding a light on what these people are doing and you know she was like basically saying in her mind she was like you know if they gave me like you know this amount of money right now that could be a huge game changer and and like she could imagine what she would do with that money but at the same time she was like, there's no way like that I would do that. Like that is just basically against everything that I stand for. And if I am have if I have to wait like another five, 10 years until the right quote unquote investor comes along that aligns with my values, then it's worth that wait. And, and we, yeah, like you said about instant gratification, it's really important that we all, um, you know, that we all look at this as like, uh, artists, businesses, all of these things that create originality, authenticity, and content and product, that all happens not overnight. Like you have Mm -hmm. to wait for it to evolve. You have to wait for it to grow. And it's just like one of those things. It's like a mountain climb. You know, it's not, it's, it's definitely, it's not a sprint. So I, I just like, talking about being present i just need to look at one day at a time planning i think is still really important i i remember very much about the runway analogy you did like many many episodes ago (laughs) (laughs) and you need you know when your runway is really short how can you take off (laughs) yeah it's true though i mean that is very true i mean and that is definitely uh, an analogy i use with clients who are small businesses i'm like whoa 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 like let's Let's plan this runway out because if you fall off the runway, well, you might fall into the ocean. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> the patience is hard. And I think something that makes it even, I don't know, more difficult is you'll see other people out there you feel perhaps are having way more success in the things that you, the same thing you're doing, mm-hmm. but 
they probably aren't. That's like one of the things I've learned recently. <laughs> Uh, or in the past year, you know, like I'll tell you, Selena, like in my small business class, the last round of classes I did, someone brought you up and that uh, she was like, Selena Sanders is an icon, <laughs> definitely one of the most successful, small, like slow fashion brands out there. And I was like, wow, I, I like know Selena. <laughs> and she was like, really? What's she oh like? And I'm like, God. she's just like a normal, nice, cool person like everyone else here, you know, doing the best she can. Uh, but people probably look at you, Selena, and they're like, why can't I be as successful as her? Oh, my God. Well, I'm I'm blushing right now because, I mean, <laughs> that's such a super sweet way. But at the same time, like you said, everything. OK, so I'm just going to be totally be honest. I feel like I am successful. Because of the little, I think the you different are. scales, right? That I've showed you, like at least, like in yeah. terms of, and I th- that was hard to find. I mean, Amanda, there's a gap between our last conversation to this and the things that happened between me. I mean, it was really difficult. I had a lot of, you know, mental like breakdowns because I felt like I mm-hmm. was trying to chase this, the demand, but I couldn't fulfill it. So I was like literally killing myself, not eating, right? You were sewing all the time. Yes. You were sewing, sewing all the time, all the time yeah. not sleeping. And I started to hate what I was doing. And that was like That's bad. Oh, okay. Press the brakes like right now. Yeah, and I, I was yeah. like, why, why am I doing this? I just left. 16 years of the industry to be doing this, which is exactly, you know what I mean? But it's, unfortunately, it's really hard. The allure of wanting to like ride that wave when you have it, sometimes it's, it sucks you in. It's really hard to let go. Mm -hmm. And I I did, I had a moment where I was just like, I was riding this wave. Like, you know, people were reaching out to me that I never thought would reach out to me. People wanted to collaborate, you know, all of this stuff. I was selling a lot of product, a lot meaning like 30 pieces of a month. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, not like 30,000 or yeah, like 300,000. Yeah. But that's a but lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Are you still working from home or do you have a studio yet? Well, I I finally invested in building my garage into a studio. Woohoo! <laughs> okay, so that's an upgrade. But like yeah. to sew 30 garments in there, I mean, that is like, how long does it take you to make a blouse? Well, the good, another come up, Amanda, is how I now have like, there's four of us now. So <laughs> <laughs> that is, I mean, that's incredible because you definitely... It was just you for oh, so yeah. long. For a year, a year and a half. Which is like unscalable. It's, you know, yeah. like I see this with a lot of makers is that they think that they will just keep growing their business with just them. And like that is physically not possible. The runway, like, the runway, just, the runway. <laughs> yeah, this that's you're giving yourself the shortest runway. <laughs> it's just you and what your body and your mind can do. And that's it. And you're also limited by time. Oh, time is, oh is real, God. guys. Absolutely. You cannot... I can say this as a person who has tried my darndest to do otherwise. You cannot <laughs> bend time to make no. to work the way you want it to. Right. No. <laughs> and I mean, it, it, it's kind of incredible because when I finally realized that, like, I there's no way that I can do this by myself. Um, but getting there, getting to the four of us, it was a really hard task to do because the, the training that involves in that, all of us have, like, other than Oof, me, yeah. all of them have full-time jobs as well. So these are side, basically oh, wow. they do their side hustle with me. And um, I've been really excited to know that one of, you know, my sewist, Lo, who works in the industry at the um, Garment District, 
she basically has said, I don't want to do overtime at my job anymore because I can just work on Selena stuff. She pays me well and I can just do it like whenever I want to. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, yeah, there's all these things that we both share all the struggles together and we both like compromise, you know, and we all communicate together. So we're a team in the sense that like, oh, Selena, you know, I want to take like three weeks off. Like, so we plan it ahead. We give it to somebody else. Like it's, it's a true camaraderie and a true conversation. And, and again, you can't do this on your own. Um, but I've also come to realize that like, as much as I love product and making clothes, production, not necessarily is the biggest thing that I love about it. It's really, for me, it's just about education is a big part of what I love about what I do. And at the same time, just, you know, with being able to give people the inspiration and empowerment to really kind of Mm -hmm. own their own style that it's something that I just started to realize. I want to show people that you can claim your own style and whether it is by you looking at my clothes and looking at them and seeing like, oh, well, that's not my style, but it's there's little cues and clues in there where you can actually take little tidbits of what I'm trying to say, meaning like find a trend maybe like two years ago was a puff sleeve top and then like obviously the fashion industry is going to say oh puff sleeves are dead now it's like you know belly buttons are back Uh. like you know so there's (laughs) (laughs) or you know micro micro it's true though it's true (laughs) micro 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 skirts are back and you know like androgynous dressing or like blazer dressing is back now and it's no longer the puff sleeve but i refuse to basically say for me it's not a trend it's my uniform like you mm-hmm, can't take my mm-hmm. uniform away. And I, I want to empower people and try to show them that it is cool, regardless of what the runways and the trends are showing you. It's really just about being able to like know that we are in a, are surrounded by a, an abundance of fabrics and materials and that they just need your creativity and your hands and your know-how and your skill mm-hmm. to be able to transform them. This is the story of every sustainable brand there is out there. It's not just unique to me. But um, this past year, I've just kind of sat down and decided, okay, I feel like my production in the way that I want it to scale it is more than enough. Um, and what I mean by that is I've been, you know, I've been invited to attend like physical shows um, and I just couldn't do it because we couldn't even sustain our direct-to-consumer website-only product and made-to-order things. Mm-hmm. You have to make product physically for a show, right? And I just we just mm-hmm. couldn't do it, so I wasn't able to do it. But this time, um, we're going to try. We attended our very first show, and it was really great to do that for the first time. But then it's a whole new territory for me, too. Um, and then I'm attending <laughs> West Coast Craft for... Oh, <gasps> me too. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. We're gonna meet up for I sure. You know, the last wait. time I was there, I got to hang out with Danny. Yes. I yeah. I actually Danny Lottie from Lottie Studio and Jess Meaty, all three of them had. I think it's Dan. It was Danny's first, right, at West Coast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I know Lottie yeah. and um, Jess have been doing it like for the last two or three markets now, and they've always been so encouraging. And I bet you had. Th- you know, I bet it was like such a blast and everybody's always saying like what a great crowd and energy it is. So um, mm-hmm, and I can't wait mm-hmm. to see you there, Amanda, if you will be there this November. Um, excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm coming for work. We are, you know, I started this program at my job where every month we take a small artist and we buy a full collection from them and sell it in our stores. Oh, and no. it generally ends up putting like fifty or $60,000 in their pocket. So we... 
I know. So we've been finding, like, we found our first artist, which is happening right now, I actually found through a friend. But, like, then we went to West Coast Craft and our our November artist we found there. Um, our December artist we found somewhere else. And, like, so we're going to come back and try to find some more for the spring and the fall. But it's been, like, of course, this is something I'm really passionate about. And I want someday... If I'm still working at this job, I want everything we to sell to be from small makers and brands. Wow. So it's just like step one. That's huge. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I love I that. I know. It feels good to do good things in my day job. That's you so know? Cool. That makes me so excited <laughs> yeah. to hear that because, yeah, that's a huge like come up for a small brand that's just starting. Like that's major. And I just really want to be around the energy of all the small makers and brand out there. Obviously, networking is important within the sustainable fashion space. I think collaboration, camaraderie, and I think just supporting each other is highly, highly important. Um, and because again, we were kind of just like, uh, we're like islands, you know? And so, and I particularly work a lot by myself in terms of the design process and spend a lot of time in my studio at my home. And so it's just really nice to be able to go out there, you know, and it's been so great because I've had a lot of friends who are like asking if they could volunteer to help me with my booth, (laughs) which is even more fun. Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Clothes Horse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycled clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. 
Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at Thumbprint Detroit. High Energy Vintage is a fun and funky vintage shop located in Somerville, Massachusetts, just a few minutes away from downtown Boston. They offer a highly curated selection of bright and colorful clothing and accessories from the 1940s to the 1990s for people of all genders. Husband and wife duo Wiley and Jessamy handpick each piece for quality and style with a focus on pieces that transcend trends and will find a home in your closet for many years to come. In addition to clothing, the shop also features a large selection of vintage vinyl and old school video games. Find them on Instagram at High Energy Vintage, online at HighEnergyVintage.com, and at markets in and around Boston. Vagabond Vintage DTLV is a vintage clothing, accessories, and decor reselling business based in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. Not only do we sell in Las Vegas, but we're also located throughout resale markets in San Francisco, as well as at a curated boutique called Lux and Ivy located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jessica, the founder and owner of Vagabond Vintage DTLV, recently opened the first IRL location located in the Arts District of downtown Las Vegas on August 5th. The shop has a strong emphasis on 60s and 70s garments, single-stitch tees, and dreamy loungewear. Follow them on Instagram at Vagabond Vintage DTLV and keep an eye out for their website coming fall of 2022. I feel like I've reached this this um, very good stride and I love where we are and I love that it's small batch and there's something kind of magical about the, the fact that we continue to make, you know, made to measure bespoke like that's just to me has always been my passion and 80% of my business is still run at that spot but of course we only have certain slots because made to order and made to measure is very, very difficult. And it's like really mm-hmm. one at a time. It's very careful. We only, we work with, sometimes they'll send us fabrics that are like 
oh, this was my grandmother's embroidery from like that she took from like, no pressure. Yes. So, you know, it has to be, we have to do multiple prototypes, you know, and then whatever prototype we might Mm -hmm. make, we sell as a ready-made piece later on. Like there's, um, you know, there's all these things that we do, but I, I definitely want to diversify the business in a sense that I've been listening to a lot of new different, um, you know, kind of places like uh, people that, you know, are authors or content creators, podcasters, and content is really king in terms of, you know, or queen in this sort of um, environment that we are (laughs) in right now. And I am, I have been thinking about launching um, some downloadable patterns on, on my website where you can, if I experiment on a design, but I feel like I don't want to produce it, then you can easily just buy it and I can kind of create a tutorial based off that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not a new idea, but I feel like a lot of people ask me that all the time. Oh, it's so smart. I, that's the advice I would give you for sure to do that. Because you're, you know, like you're never going to be able to sew a blouse for every single person who wants one. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So what is it like teach a man to fish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exactly. And, and yeah, and um, that was something that I was actually going to try to launch at the middle of the year. And then a company called Domestica um, and Domestica is like an online learning um, place platform. Um, it, it, you can kind of compare them to Skillshare, but the thing is their product, their production values I feel a little bit better in, from an aesthetic point of view because they film everything themselves um, and they produce the content. Wow. They do all the marketing and like it's it's really packaged beautifully. And for all of you guys who are like, I compare it to like when you go to a stationery store and you love all the different packaging like that. To me, that's domestic. <laughs> yeah, I could agree with that. It's got a very... If you are a person who cares about aesthetics, this is the place to go. Like it's just... Even just like the the environments that they film the different teachers in is like it's so dialed in. I just love it. Yeah, I love it, and I I, I really love it because they're they originally started in Spain. They're um, headquartered in Madrid, but um, they started out as just sort of like I believe like a way to sort of like exchange information. It's an it's a true tech company in a sense, but then. They started to do a little bit of like tutorials and things like that. I think it started with music and then graphics. And then now they're growing quite exponentially because they really do know how to produce content and really easy to follow courses. And I, I, they reached out to me a while back when I just started very, very early, but I just kind of was like, I brushed it off. I was like, I don't know. But then um, I was kind of thinking about this whole pattern thing. And I was like, you know, and I want to go back to the classroom. I used to teach and I love teaching. And I was like, at some point, I just want to be able to get back into the education space at some point. So it was a great partnership. Mm -hmm. I actually it was so awesome. They flew me out to Spain in June and I spent. Yes, I would not. And again, it's like I, I, I would say there's a lot of things that. I don't like about social media, but there are good things about it. And that is really just your global reach. And for Mm -hmm. someone in Spain to have found me on Instagram and called and basically said, we are really serious about investing in producing a course with you. We'll fly you out to Spain, meet our crew there. They're amazing. I mean, I cannot. I'm, I'm not saying just just because I've partnered with them and I was paid to do this course. I genuinely feel like if you are being approached by Domestica to do a course with them, it's such an experience I think I will never forget. And I want to give a shout out 
to Ellen of the Endery, who actually I met through Danny. Um, and she, mm -hmm. she is a sweater designer. Um, she lives in, um, you know, South America part of the time. And she also lives in New York and she did a, a course with them. And I actually called her before I signed up to do domestic, the domestic course. And she was like, I cannot stress how amazing of an experience that was for me. And I completely agree mm -hmm. with her. So I love them. They're really great. Their support's amazing and they're very organized and they take care of you and all that stuff. So um, but going back to the course, um, I was really thinking about what I wanted to teach and I'm known for this puff sleeve top. Um, but I do have a big disclaimer to make and that is it's not the exact top that I sell for my brand because the top that mm -hmm. I sell for my brand, there's really no pattern for it. It's mainly draped and there's a lot of custom like right measurements. So I never really made a pattern for that per se. Um, so I tried to figure out, number one, if you're a beginner and you've never sewn a garment ever in your life, what would be the best garment for you to make as a person with no skills? And I picked a silhouette very similar to my top that you can execute yourself. And I, I'm so happy because the reviews have been amazing in terms of the fact that Yay. it's easy to follow. And I not only teach you how to make it, you download the pattern and it comes in a variety of sizes. And the pattern is the same front or back. So you can make a, a top that has a different front, different back, and you can just flip it around. It's a two-in-one top, pretty much. And on top of that, I give you all the skills that I know my little trade secrets as to how to mask stains, how to spot the potential in like what fabrics to avoid, what fabrics to get, where to source and all of this incredible things. And then I also teach a little bit about my design theory, like what color does, what pattern does like. And uh -huh. this is something that it's translated in over six languages, downloadable everywhere wow. in the world. And seriously, you can probably buy the course right now for like $10, like and it lives forever. You know, you have it forever. And you can do it at your own pace. Um, and uh, I just wanted to kind of share this out to everybody because I think the one amazing comment that I get all the time is, I can't believe I made this. And I can't believe I could make it. <laughs> it encourages people and empowers people to just keep going. You know, when there's nothing mm -hmm. better, Amanda, I'm sure that you probably made or altered or upcycled a piece of clothing yourself before and there's nothing cooler than like walking around and people going like oh my god where's that from and you're like oh well i made it like yeah I no totally <laughs> i mean i i get sad sometimes thinking about how few people know how to sew because mm -hmm. we just like a skill that we aren't taught as part of you know growing up into adult humans and because making something to wear even if it's something super simple even if you're like i'm just making a tank top or something yeah. it is uh it is the best feeling ever it really is and it, sure. don't you just yeah. have so much more respect for like people who make clothing when you do it yourself you know like oh totally totally i mean you know all this stuff has been coming out about Shein this week which of course i'm i'm sure you've seen mm -hmm. in quadruplicate mm -hmm. on social media and you know, the fact that people would be required, who worked in those factories, would be required to sew a minimum of 500 garments a day. Jesus. I just can't even wrap my brain around it, Selena, because it would take me days to make a top. Man. You know, I just, 
and I don't I, I know that yes of course when you do stuff all the time you get faster at it and you build inefficiencies but like nonetheless it's sewing is not only something that requires skill and care it also takes a toll on your body absolutely I mean thank you for bringing that up I mean I I honestly and that is what kind of forced me to sort of relook at my mental health and my physical health because I my body was given up out you know like yeah, it, I could feel it and um and honestly we have to give more respect for humans in general we're not machines we're not robots you can't just like put mm -hmm. a program or an algorithm in within us to program us to do a particular thing you know I mean really if Sheen is wanting to make production faster just invest in making robots then like why why would you even exploit like people you know when you can if you're gonna want to like automate this it's not an automated thing at all and um it's <laughs> yeah it just and it, it's and i think there's something really amazing about the fact that like if you do want to understand how clothes are made and how you can appreciate the people that do make it it, it is the best even if you you don't plan on making one item after this course after taking my course at all at least the fact that you're able to know and see the behind the scenes and like really understanding what goes behind. I mean, I just remembered um, having to go back and forth with an iron. Like I probably ironed that one garment, like every seam has to be ironed so that it looks great when you sew it and it looks professional. And I think I counted like over 15 or 20, over 15 or 20 times that you'd have to press a seam in order for you to like, get to a good place and there's something it kind of reminds me of like karate kid like mr miyagi like wax on wax off like you just have it's a skill that you just kind of are in like a training but at the same time it's an mm -hmm. art form that people yeah, forget because of the disposability um and so yeah um definitely i would like love to have you guys check it out obviously if this is not for you it's a great thing to gift um, a friend or a uh, family member. That's an amazing gift. Amazing holiday gift. Yes. And a very affordable one. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you can um, find it on my link tree. You can look for me on Instagram, Selena underscore Sanders um, on Instagram. Also on my website, selenasanders.com. There's a link under shop all and also on my link tree. And the reason why I keep saying do it through my link is because I actually get full accreditation. Like I, I get a bigger cut of the proceeds if you do it through my site versus if you go directly through Domestica. Um, we love Domestica too, but if you want to really support the teachers, <laughs> if you want to support the teachers, yeah. always do it through the link of the teacher because the teacher actually gets a bigger cut of the sale um, if it goes through our link. So um, it's fantastic. And if you're also subscribed to my Instagram, um, we also do discounts for the course that I offer on Domestica. So there's information about that too, if you guys ever follow me in stories. Um, but yeah, I just, I really, really appreciate the clothes horse community, Amanda, and obviously you, uh, because it's, you know, every time I listen to an episode, not only obviously is it about fashion and what's going on, it, there's so many other nuances about life in general, about the lives we live, you know, about kind of like the struggles we all go through the different dynamics and um basically just trying to figure out and navigate life and i think 
um, this is, this is my, you know, this is kind of where I feel safest, um, is it within this community. And in reality, the support that I've been getting just from the big, the moment I started, I, I pinch myself every day. So to that person in your business class that said, Selena is successful. Look at it from the sense of like also community success. I think that's kind of the biggest Mm -hmm. takeaway I have to say, because the glamour of social media and Instagram, sometimes there's like a lot of smoke and magic that happens there. We don't really talk about like a lot of the struggles we go through a lot of the times where I was like about to give up or feeling like, Mm -hmm. oh, which is really funny. Actually, my husband was like, oh, so you're on a call today. I was like, yeah, I didn't really tell him exactly what it was for. And he goes, are you trying to like apply for a job? <laughs> oh, oh man. But like we've been like like Selena, I know you've been there. And I think mm-hmm. calling out that like smoke and mirrors of social media is so important because I remember you and I talking like a year ago, not for the podcast, it was just like a bunch of us meeting up on mm-hmm. Zoom. And you were like going through a tough time oh, and gosh. I was shocked. I was like, I assumed Selena is on the top of the world. And in fact, Everybody who was in that Zoom, myself included, was just like, I'm so stressed out. I feel like I'm going to give up. I'm starting to hate what I do. And we were all like kind of, I don't know, trying to like be there for each other, but also you know, give one another like ideas and motivation to keep going. And that's the power of community because everybody who was in that meeting is still doing what they love and is like growing every single day. Oh, my God. I cannot no one quit. believe that. I completely forgot about that. And now that you said that, I was like, oh, that was the perfect timing. And actually going back to that, I just had COVID that uh, at that time mm. and it was Delta. Yes. It was really bad. And I had lost mm-hmm. two members of my family around that oh, time. My God. And then I also had a cousin and an uncle who were just both diagnosed with prostate cancer. So it was, Jeez. and then on top of that, with all the other stuff. It was really a hard time in my life. You would never think that by just looking at me posting product on Instagram, <laughs> right? Right, right, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But I I do have to say now that I am in my, and I love that you reminded me of that because it was, you have to look at the lows in order to appreciate the highs. And I mm-hmm. am happy to report that I am in a much better position in terms of, again, my balance in my life, the things that I really want to go after, like teaching and like really being able to make sustainability a, a practice where everybody can ex- access. And then obviously just making amazing, beautiful pieces of wearable, sustainable clothing art. Like Those are the two things that bring me joy. And I just have to focus on those. I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to get bigger or have to scale down. Scaling down is not a problem. You know, I think Mm -hmm. embrace degrowth. Like I, I think right now it's just a matter of like that. The, I had a lot of struggles because I, I, there was so much noise in my head. I was constantly criticizing my own work. I felt like my work was not good enough. I felt like I was working really, really hard, but the exhaustion Mm -hmm. really clouds your mind and it doesn't make you become the person you should really be. And uh, I think we have to go through a journey in order to find really who we are and what kind of artist or creator we want to be. And uh, right now I'm still learning, trying to figure it out. I'm not saying that this is it, but I I wake (laughs) up every morning and I have this bright 
like path. I see a clear path of what I want the brand to be and what I want to share with the world and who I want to show people. Like, what do I want to share as far as like, because it, the clothes that I make are not just like my living. It's really me. Like I, I have to basically, I, I need to be brave enough to face judgment because the internet is very judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the understatement of the century. Yeah. Uh, the internet exists for judgment apparently. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's a really good <laughs> point that like everybody who's out there who is a maker, an artist, a creator, even an educator, mm-hmm. and especially is like present on the internet for how they do that, whether like it's like you like that's where your business lives, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that's how you like for me, that's how I reach people and share information. You know, you you are doing something so vulnerable, so brave every single day <laughs> by doing your work and putting it out there. Like I I, before I started Clothes Horse, I mean, I used Instagram to, like, share photos of my friends and laugh about them, and that was about it. And, I mean, I'm sure it was very similar to you, Selena. And then to find yourself living a life on social media where, it like, what you do relies on that and needs to be a part of that, uh, it is really hard. It's so hard. <laughs> like, it is so hard, and you just never know who's going to show up that day. Uh, it's definitely takes a toll on your mental health i mean if you had told me i don't know like 20 years ago even that someday people i would never meet or even know what they look like would make me feel bad for hours or days on end i would have been like how (laughs) and that is that right (laughs) yeah you'd be like you're crazy Uh, like what are you talking about (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that is the reality. Like when people pretend that social media is not real, I'm like, oh man, it is so real for those of us who use it to reach people. It is so real. (laughs) It's exhausting. And you know, finally, when I I finally accepted to my, I told myself, I was like, listen, and there's nothing wrong as far as like when you show up every day and you may not be getting like the, the kind of like the, the exposure that you're expecting it's not your fault. You know, there's a lot of things that are out of your control. Like, you know, this whole algorithm and shadow banning and stuff, that stuff <sighs> is so real. It is so yeah. real. And I, I sometimes I sit back and I'm like, oh, can we just go back to the days of Instagram when they weren't fucking with that stuff? Like, they should. Oh, my right? God. Remember it's like times? really bad again. It's like it'll be really bad for like a month and then it'll seem like, I don't know, we've all adjusted to it or it's gotten better. And then it will get bad again. And I feel like the past few weeks, a lot of people have been feeling really down. Yeah. One of about I'm one of those Instagram. people. Like, I am. I mean, I think everyone is. Everyone. I was like, why did only 200 people like my post? Like, that hasn't happened in, like, two years. Like, it's really weird stuff, right? And I'm not even selling anything. No, because people are probably not seeing it. I, I've gone, on honestly, Amanda, I've gone through your page and I go through it, like, I'll run through your feed and I'm like, I didn't see that. Like I didn't, you know, I I never, yeah, I don't, I never see your posts or Danny's or all the people that I would say like two years ago that I was interacting with the most on social Mm -hmm. media. uh, I never see any of your posts anymore unless I go look for them. I know that's, and it's so weird. It's like it, it's making it hard to maintain community via it social is. media. It really, really is. And that's kind of like, and that's why everybody's like, oh, Selena, you should go over a TikTok. And I'm like, 
Oh my god! Again, I know, like, like I that's, can't. I mean, yeah. I have a TikTok account, and I just put whatever I put on Instagram on there. But me that too. Is even I, more of a yeah, I've seen your posts on TikTok. But don't you think that's just like the most time sucking app ever? Uh, like no one, if you have never made a video, you like do not understand how much work <sighs> it is. Like it is crazy, and you'll like put two hours into it. It'll be 30 seconds long. <laughs> like, it's Jeez. So, I mean, I know that there are tons of people on TikTok who are just like, it's them talking to a camera and that's like fine and like people like it. But you you and I are overachievers. Like that's yes. not going to work for us, oh, right? And totally. we're so like focused on aesthetic and, you know, creating a mood and all of that. And so for me, it's like, if I didn't have a full-time job right now, I would absolutely be making lots of TikTok content, mm-hmm, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And I would enjoy the creative challenge of it. But, like, I, it's either sleep and eat or make TikToks. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And for me personally, yeah. it's taking away from the time spent on actually making product, you know? So it's... Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like, it's either I just do that or I do the other. You know, I can't do both. And I, I'm not... Right, at, I'm right. not by any means in the place where I am going to hire someone to do it for me. That's just like not. No, I mean that's like such a luxury. I can't. That even is imagine. insanity. You know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like whoa. But hopefully, with me coming to the you know West Coast craft, we'll just. I want real people. Like I just miss real people. I want to be around real people. So, like I said, I teach these small business classes called Small Biz Big Pick. And last night we had our first session with round two of like students. Mm-hmm. And you know, I talked to them because this is a question that comes up over and over again, which is like, how many social media followers do I need to have to be successful? And I said, actually, there's no right number. Because if you have 500 followers who engage with you regularly and shop with you regularly, you have a pretty solid business. Right? And like, that's that's the thing. It's about like building these relationships and these communities that are genuine and supportive that's that's the ticket not being like i have a million followers i think that day of like the early instagram influencer thing has like fallen apart and it's continuing to sort of degrade and it's really about like forming community and relationships even though instagram is like no we're gonna do everything we can to tear you all apart but (laughs) 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 i think uh like that's i don't know i guess what i'm saying is like the people who love you love you and are going to keep supporting you and hopefully at west coast craft you're going to meet some more new people to love you and support you i hope so too i feel exactly the same way about just being able to um see the smiles on people's faces my last question for you really would be like if do you have i mean you've been doing this now for two years more than two years Mm -hmm. and you know before that like you also were a successful business lady but is there advice that you would give someone who's maybe in the earlier stages of building their own brand and living as an artist or a teacher or all of these things together on social media or just out there in the community? What advice would you give them that you kind of wish you would have known when you started two years ago? That's such a good one. Um, I have many, many pieces of advice, but though, <laughs> because of all the many, many mistakes I've made and like all the learnings right. from it. <laughs> But definitely the one thing that I would say is it's very normal to always constantly doubt yourself. Um, There is this Mm. thing that's called like 
resist the resistance. You know, there's a book called Art of War that I've just like I'm I'm not done reading it, but it's really it's about a writer who's trying to write, but they have such a hard time putting words into paper because they have like they just don't know where to begin. And mm-hmm. a lot of the times the the basically the writer says, just write, you know, just write. Don't even worry about if it makes sense or whatever. What I guess what I'm trying to say is just do. Like, just create, like start, like, don't procrastinate about it. Don't listen to all the voices mm-hmm. in your head about, oh, nobody's going to like it. The rejection, you know, I don't have enough followers. Nobody's going to see it. We all start from somewhere. And if you constantly push it aside and procrastinate, you will never again with the whole mountain analogy of just like it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You just, it's like laying brick, right? You just, to build a house, Mm -hmm. you just have to lay one brick at a time. And there will be a lot of distractions. There's elements always in the way. There's obstacles constantly. But if you just find the joy in what you do, people will start to notice. And I, I understand that like the attention is important sometimes for a creator or an educator or whoever wanting to start something. Because attention means like potentially you could be making a living from this because someone will notice and want it. But at the end of the day, like really all the attention and the financial success follows when you just like genuinely put yourself out there. The other thing, too, is make sure that you have a unique voice. That's one thing that I've Mm -hmm. learned when we try to mimic other people or we try to like, you know, try to copy I mean, that's a whole other conversation in the sustainable space <laughs> that happens quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. I was so shocked. Like some, we had this conversation again last time when I was on here. But uh, sometimes I'll just go through my explore page and I'll look at like a, a, a piece that looks just like mine, just different fabric. You know, yeah. it's not mine, but yeah. it's often it happened in the last two years. It happens constantly. But you know what? I don't even like more power to those people like you know they'll find their way they'll eventually evolve Mm -hmm. i have an evolution i have to go through and so i i just constantly i put the noise away the negative negativity away and because it just like it slows you down you just have to find the joy in what you do and be proud of the fact that like you can create something from nothing and be able to share it with someone and inspire other people doesn't matter if you inspire one person or five people just keep doing it and honestly it seems easier said than done sometimes i wanted to say it in these terms because i have to give that advice to myself every day too i have a lot of distractions and it really i have to keep when i'm down and i feel sad for something it's because i haven't made anything or haven't been creating Mm -hmm. um it's really just the embracing of the creation that i think will get you to that point. And other than that, too, just like uh, listen to your instinct and um, and, you know, just just really be true to yourself. Like there if you are not true to yourself or if you listen too much, you know, you listen to the noise, I think it will take away from who you really could be. And this space is so broad. There's so many people with incredible talents and things to share. But we all have different experiences mm-hmm. and that, that what, that's what makes each of us unique. So if you don't bring something that's really drawn from within who you really are, your life story, your experience, the things that you're good at, if you don't really like kind of take from that well, 
I mean, at the end of the day, it's not authentic and it's not genuine. And honestly, it, it doesn't become something that people want to look at or be gravitated towards because people can tell people are smarter than you think as far as an audience. Like, like even with mm-hmm. movies, right? They keep bringing out these bad movies. And that's because I think. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yes. All the movies are bad right now. It's so bad. Uh, Or it's a remake of something. And it's like, and I think that's because they underestimate the audience. Like we, they feel like we're so dumb that we don't want something new or like thought provoking or, you know, and that's the same with anything and everything. So with me, I, I obviously I'm influenced by a lot of things. I, there's a lot of things that I love. But at the end of the day, when I look at a garment that I put out there, I always have to say, is this really me? Or am I just mm-hmm. putting something that's like, whatever? Like, I, it has to feel like it belongs to me. You know, like I'm claiming it, the ownership. So I want you to claim that ownership for whatever it is that you're going after um, and believe in yourself. You know, as cliche and as corny as that sounds. <laughs> there's, no, I love yeah. that. I think that's true. I think that's true. And like you said, people can tell. If it's not really yeah, yeah. you. People can tell. People are smart. They yeah. know. They yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. And and the thing is, like, you might say, well, if that's the case, then, like, why are places like Shein or Zara or whatever so successful at selling knockoffs? And it's, like, because they sell them for so cheap mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. people can suspend their disbelief, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. that to me, it, it definitely affects, like, a small brain. I have to say, I have noticed, like... At the beginning and the height of the pandemic, when people were just looking at things that are special and all the boats were stranded somewhere, you know, out there and we couldn't get <laughs> a new product. And like yeah. it was, we were thriving because people wanted something new and something that had a story. But then after the pandemic, the reality hit. We have bills to pay, inflation, all that stuff. And I understand um, that, you know, and business will slow down because of that. But at the same time, for, for me personally, as long as I keep, giving that option and providing something a little bit new um, in terms of like relooking at something that may have been forgotten before. There's people always get like, oh, they people stop. They do it, it, because there's so much noise. Right. And then all of a sudden you see something mm-hmm. a little bit more fresh or something that makes you happy. You're like, you know, there's that serotonin kind of, you know, kind of a feeling or dopamine dressing or whatever it is that they call it, that happiness dressing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's, that's my wheelhouse. Like I love bringing that happiness factor into dressing and Shein can, can make a bunch of these fine. At some point though, the people that buy into Shein, eventually they also evolve and that business fine. It's doing so well right now, but they all, they all eventually die. I, I mean, right. Yeah. Like, Zara, mm-hmm. H&M, all of these places. Well, I mean, Forever 21's no longer around, you know? So it's like... Yeah. Yeah. I, I say we just do what we can, and whoever wants to join our camp, like, we are more than welcome, you know? And we just... And that's why I'm, like, really excited to do these courses, because especially for the young people out there, I want to empower mm-hmm. you to, like, make your clothes. Make your own clothes. Like, if you're bored, don't go ahead and buy a Shein garment that will be, like, disposable and will will break like you know how like Shein was doing this like resell platform I was reading the comments and a lot of people were like how can you resell something that you wear once and it falls apart like it's, I know how? I mean it's the same thing like forever 21's not gonna start that either you know oh <laughs> yeah yeah no I 
I agree. Like, I am really excited about your class. And I hope that more people who listen to this think about what they do that's special that could change the lives of other people if they knew how to do it. And get out there and share that knowledge. You know, make it more accessible. Because the thing about slow fashion is that there's not going to be one person in our community who makes everything for everyone. Like, no one can. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what separates us from a place like Zara or H&M or The Gap, these companies who wanted to just sell something to every single person. Yeah. We know that we can't do that and we don't want to do that. And so what we can do is share our knowledge and help others make their own stuff and make stuff for people in their communities. 100,000%. Like, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lena. This was so fun. We haven't talked in so long. Oh um, I'm so glad that we got to have this time together. <laughs> thank you, Amanda. And of course, like, I cannot wait to see you in person. Give you a big hug. Obviously, like, I, know. I say I miss you, but in reality, I get to listen to your wonderful voice, like, anytime I want to with your amazing podcast and it just like brings me so much joy um, oh stop it you're gonna make me cry no. i'm very well, you emotional have to. today you cry cry <laughs> because <laughs> because i want you to like take the love like it's okay yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that, that's gonna be me at west coast crab i'm just gonna be tears i'll have you know um basically hankies everywhere for me to like wipe my <laughs> wipe my tears of go. happiness um but yeah i i cannot begin to say just looking even at your podcast from two years ago to now it is so incredible like the amount of advocate let me just tell you something obviously i'm gonna keep going but at the same time we have to go um the first yeah. <laughs> time the first time i listened to your podcast the very very first episode i was like oh, this is a really cool podcast. But at the same time, I've been in the fashion industry. I know what Amanda's talking about already. Like, because you were just talking about production and like how things. And then the more I kept listening, I was like, oh, this is now evolving into something else. This is like empowerment about what's going on in the industry, the environment, like social justice. There's just so much stuff. And I'm like, oh, Beanie Babies, like, let's go. So I go... whoa (laughs) this is not just about clothes this podcast is not just about clothes it's about our lives like i i yeah the fact that you've leaned into it so much it also inspires me to lean into what i'm good at and that is like i'll just lean into it as hard as i can and just keep leaning into it and i cannot wait to like see you soon If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses. Please go give them your support. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, 
Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's where St. Evans. Country Feedback is a mom and pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns. Handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed. Made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicware, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicware in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicware recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicware offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl, and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. Find us on Instagram at Cute Little Ruin. The Pewter Thimble is a curated secondhand shop based out of Rome, Italy. Owner Desiree Marie Townley has a background in costuming and makeup for dance and opera and focuses on dressing for the character you want to be in the world. Curated collections are dropped in a story sale and always have a specialized theme like the color palette of Starry Night, the film classic Casablanca, and the children's novel The Secret Garden. Desiree works with local artisans, and pieces are rescued from markets and rehabilitated and resold with worldwide shipping.
The pewter thimble is a collection of pieces that will have eternal style from the eternal city. Discover more on Instagram at the pewter thimble. You know, about a year ago, I made the mistake of reading a conversation about clothes horse on Reddit, and it's something I will never do again. I will never Google myself. I will never Google clothes horse unless it's to look for an episode number when one of you DMs me on Instagram. That's what I do, by the way. I don't have them memorized. Anyway, one of the complaints about this podcast, other than it being super depressing, was that I left the nice things people said about the show in their voice messages rather than cutting them. And so for the past year, anytime someone says something nice to me in a conversation or a message, I've been cutting that out (laughs) for some reason that I don't even understand, especially as I explain this out loud. It sounds ridiculous. But I left in that last part of my conversation with Selena because you know what? It means a lot to me that she has seen the evolution because she and I have been on this journey since the beginning, growing alongside one another. Extending clothes horse beyond just clothes, just fast fashion, all of that has been part of a larger mission to show everyone who listens that we can, as individuals, make an impact. I don't care what anyone says. A lot of our consumption habits stem from not feeling as though we can be ourselves. And so many industries exploit that insecurity as much as they exploit humans and the planet. Each time one of us has that aha moment of really feeling and knowing that who we are is just perfect, you know what happens? Fast fashion loses another devoted customer. Each time we proudly show our true inner selves to others, we start someone else on their own journey to achieving that for themselves. And that is how we disrupt the status quo of buying shit to make ourselves feel better, cooler, prettier, wealthier, smarter, all of the errors. Whatever it is we are trying to do when we shop, we stop needing to do that. Changing is work. Progress isn't linear. But wow, to look back and see how you've grown and how much better you feel, that's better than the best article of clothing I've ever owned. And I hope that all of you are having those moments too because they are amazing. It was so great to catch up with Selena, who you can find on Instagram. You probably already follow her, but just in case, as at Selena underscore Sanders. The link tree in her profile includes both the link to her online store and the link to her domestic class. I'm also going to include that in the show notes because as she suggested, you should use that link to sign up for her class because she gets a bigger share rather than going to Domestica's website to sign up. I am so excited, as I mentioned, to see Selena at West Coast Craft in San Francisco in November 19th and 20th. I hope I'll see some of you there too. And if you are going, drop me a line so we can meet up. All right. Well, that's all for this episode, everyone, because I've got to go finish my laundry and do all kinds of boring housework in preparation for my in-laws arrival this weekend. Thank you for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating, maybe even a review on Apple Podcasts. But most importantly, tell all your friends. 
that's the whole goal here, right, is to get more people to join our community so that we can make even more significant changes. If you would like to support my work here on Closed Source financially, you can learn more at patreon.com slash closed source podcast. Thanks, as always, to my other half, Dustin Travis White, for our music and audio support. And I will talk to you all in two weeks. It'll be November then. All right. Happy Halloween. Don't buy those plastic spider webs. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.